Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very senior and accomplished professional, a fellow member of the YPO from Qatar, Wissam Kostandi. Wissam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction as well. You're making me blush. Thank you. Wissam is the founder and managing director of IQO, which is Informatica, Qatar. And as I mentioned, he is a member of the YPO. So Wissam, before we talk about IQ, tell me a little bit about your own journey in brief. Sure. So I've been in Qatar for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved out here from San Francisco uh, in 2008, it's actually my 15th year. I was living in San Francisco for about um, seven, eight years, um, and before that in, in Florida and Chicago for another seven, eight years. Before that, I was in Switzerland, and when I was very young, I was in Saudi Arabia. So funny enough, I went into university to study biomedical engineering, which is okay. what my undergrad is. Then I, um, when I graduated, I worked for an ISP. Mm-hmm. People still remember what that is. Yeah. Internet service provider in the late 90s. And then um, after a couple of years there, I was uh, I had a, uh, some shares that was sold. And I said, oh, I'm done with the internet. I'm fed up with it. So mm-hmm. I went back and I did graduate school in biomedical engineering as well. And then I got my MBA. And funny enough, I thought, you know, this was the end of the IT internet for me in, in 2000, 2001. And um uh, after working at Deloitte Consulting for a few years, I went right back into uh, entrepreneurship in the uh, high tech space. Amazing! And as they say, rest is the rest is history. So the rest is history. Yes, wonderful. So let's talk about uh, Informatica Qatar, which is IQ. Tell me about what you're doing here and what was your motivation to start it. Sure. So. Um... In about 2007, I was, as I said, we were living in San Francisco, my wife and I, we had a son, a newborn, we were, you know, basically um, yuppies, you know, living, she was at Gap headquarters, I was Deloitte then startup, and a f- family friend uh, reached out to me in Qatar and said, "Is let's do something here in Qatar, it's booming, let's do something in technology and IT. So we came to visit in 2007 and we said, you know what, this is the right time in our life to do this uh, jump. So uh, we were on board late 2008, uh, sorry, early 2008, uh, we moved out here. By then my wife was pregnant with our daughter. Mm-hmm. And then we made the, the the move out here. And, you know, you came out, you know, like many people, we had a misconception in Qatar uh, 15 years ago. We didn't know what to expect, but we arrived here to visit, and there was uh, there was a skyline. There were they're constructing skyscrapers on the water, and when we saw the um, the opportunity that we could possibly do something here, so I think it's a question of uh, you know, you know, they say timing is is everything, but that's timing almost comes down to luck. So. 2008, we moved. We saw that the U.S. market was starting to slow down. We had no idea it was going to be this subprime crisis and financial collapse that it was going to be. Yeah. So we got out just in the you know in the nick of time to come here. And here we felt a bit of the effects of it. But basically, I landed here with my you know two suitcases and said, okay, what the what the heck do I do now? Where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. 
Very interesting. And what are the what are the kind of what are the kind of work you're doing at IQ? So we focused on we do specifically in IQ we focus on what's called uh, ELV integrations or extra low voltage. So what that means is we on the large construction projects we do all the technology, mm. the security, the network infrastructure, the building management system, the fire alarm, all that uh, we do. So we basically followed the the wave of construction that happened here. Mm. Now, little did we know that we were going to be awarded the World Cup and there was going to be a crazy I boom in, in this sort of uh, work. Mm. But we've been very busy here. I mean, we had amazing, you know, uh, people, when I first moved here, people thought I was crazy. How did you leave San Francisco to come mm. to Qatar? But from a personal perspective, life here is uh, is great, safe, mm. great for young kids. I mean, especially when you have very, when we were children, we were very small, you could be on the moon. Yep. You can't do anything anyway. You can't go out mm. to eat. You can't do anything. You're stuck with the, with the kids. Uh, we have help at home here. Something in Europe or the U.S. Yep. is almost yep. unheard of unless you're on the upper uh, echelon of society. Mm. So from a personal perspective, it was it was great. From the work perspective, of course, the culture is very different here. Mm. Uh, we don't quite have the, you know, not as litigious as in the U.S. or the proper legal framework and yeah. everything is, yes. is done in, you know, with a cup of yes. coffee and agreed on and... Uh, uh, to complete projects. So um, we focus on technology, but I've always, at my heart, always liked technology and high tech. So from here, I've spun out different companies, mm. um, startups, basically, and my latest one is in the aviation space. Mm. So the Qatar is really focused now on the startup ecosystem, which I am I'm mentoring companies and I'm involved with it. They support mm. funding. Or you know, basically startups anywhere in the world, as long as they have some presence in in, in Qatar. So I focus a lot on 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 that now. Amazing. So we'll talk about startups. But one more question about IQ. And I was reading about you, that you work with multiple partners in several technology areas. What goes into managing so many multiple relationships? So relationships a good it's a good point relationships are obviously people-based so even though a partner might be a huge conglomerate and a great reputation you have to look at the ecosystem they have here let me give you an example hmm. uh when i was in the us we used to work with dell a lot and i like the quality of products here hmm. when they came out here i wanted to continue working with dell but dell did not have the the ecosystem or the support infrastructure in place who hmm. had hp had which is important because it's one thing to sell a product and deliver it, but it's uh, another thing to you know ensure that its quality is maintained and you have support. HP had that support. Consequently, we started working more with with HP. Hmm. So in the end, we are uh, a services company in the sense that we have a project to do with multiple different vendors, multiple different technologies, hmm. and it's important for us to deliver the product which is right for the client at the right price at the right uh, price. So, for example, when we look at our engineering team, it's important for engineers to uh, have be versatile also. Um, mm. the, so when you look to hire people to work with different technologies, skills can be taught. That's probably the easy part. Mm. The important part when we're looking to recruit people is can this person work with multiple technologies and adapt? You know, it might be Avaya one day or Cisco the other. Are they qualified enough to understand how to work uh, to work with them? Mm. From a partner perspective, we need to work with partners to understand the culture here as well. Mm. Um, it's very different sales cycle here. It's different about payment terms, different about that. So 
it's important that you don't have someone coming from, I don't know, Sweden, a vendor from Sweden that comes here and expects, you know, everything to be done as if you're, you're some Nordic country, you know, we're very, time is very loose here and very flexible. So it goes hand in hand with a big multinational, a big partner that understands, you know, how to work locally as well. Interesting. So now let's talk a little bit about startups with some, you know, you mentor a lot of startups. Uh, tell me a little bit about what are the areas uh, of these startups that you normally work with or are they across multiple categories? Well, I work across, you know, different ver- industries or verticals that the startup wants to go to because I am not, um, you know, I'm not one, you know, to decide what's going to be successful or not. Like okay. if Airbnb came to me 10 years ago to invest, I probably would have said no, for example. So I'm not that, that. what's important for me when I work with startups, um, it's of course the team. Uh, because they're doing something they know about and they know and they feel there's a need in that market. I don't know what every need in every single market is, but a startup will know that they worked in this industry and they say, you know what, there's there's a gap in this. As I said before, skills are relatively easy and entrepreneurs and young startups, uh, star engineers that want to jump into the startup world, mm. they're all willing to work hard. You know, they work long hours, they're always on, so forth. Yeah. What's the most challenging part for entrepreneurs is, um, for me, the emotional, uh, the emotional balance that goes into it. Mm-hmm. For me, the two most important things for an entrepreneur is persistence and uh, emotional, um, emotional resilience. Mm-hmm. So, because when you're starting up, your personal life or your self worth is tied directly with your venture, your startup. Mm-hmm. So, when you do well, the highs are very high. But when you don't do well, your lows are very, very low, bordering on depression and potentially uh, suicide uh, as well. Correct. So it's very important for me that, you know, let startups know that first, it's a lot of work. You'll never work so hard in your life. I don't Mm. think a lot of people underestimate how difficult it is. And the second part um, is, of course, to manage your, you know, keep your, it's still a, you know, it's still a job. It's just a bit, you know. Of course, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you still mm. want these young startups to, you know, dedicate their life to a startup because you're investing in it. Yes. Yes. At the same time, they have to understand that it's not tied to their self-worth. It's still just mm. business is business. Maybe the timing wasn't right. Mm. Maybe the product fit wasn't well done. You need to tweak it and, and so forth. So for me, those are the two important factors when, when I work with, with startups yes. that are vastly yes. underrated. And uh, based on all the startups that you would have worked with, what, in your opinion, are some of the basic mistakes a lot of startup entrepreneurs make? I think um, the first one is they vastly underestimate the need for cash. Mm-hmm. You can never have too much cash uh, and the financial planning, uh, so so to speak. The second thing is, as I said, I don't think they, they, all, they understand or they underestimate the amount of work that's required in it. And when I say work, I just don't mean staying up late hours. I mean that you're going to have, you know, setback after setback after setback, mm. um, you know, get knocked down seven times, get up eight. Correct. I think they underestimate because the problem is, what is there's a, when you look at the media or the hype and you look at, you know, someone like, of course, Elon Musk now, you know, 
Okay, well, he almost, you know, how many times did Tesla almost go bankrupt? You know, mm -hmm. he called up Apple to help bail them. You know, they had he had horror stories and mm -hmm. he plowed through it and you know, yep. and he came, he came out of it. The other thing is we hype we hype the uh, the successful startups that are young because it makes good news. Mm. That's a tiny percentage. The most, the average age of, of a very successful startup, the age of the founder is like between 40, 45 to 47 in the high tech mm. space, which is normal because they've lived life, they've had failures and they understand and they learn. Mm. So when I see a, you know, a 25 year old uh, fail, I say, you know, it's great. It's a great mm. lesson for you. Let's take it, you know, Pick Go up, ahead. brush off, see what you did wrong, mm -hmm. you know, recoup mentally, and then let's let's do it again. Um, so there's a lot of uh, bias uh, that that we see that that unfortunately the the startups might internalize. Interesting, Nisam, you just mentioned about the funding part, and that is my next question. Very often people have asked me this question: Should a startup founder bootstrap as long as possible? Or should they raise money whenever it's available? I am a believer in the former. I believe you need to bootstrap as much uh, as much as you can for a few reasons. Mm. One, it improves your valuation. Mm -hmm. Second, it demonstrates you can hustle and you mm. can actually, um, from nothing, create something when times are uh, are tough. Mm. Um, and then thirdly, people won't give, I've never had someone give money when, when, you know, um, I've never seen anyone give money when they needed it. So Correct. this is usually the, the process. You have a great idea on a piece of paper, you show it to a, an investor, say, listen, support me. They'll say, build me a prototype. So you go, you hustle, you build a prototype. Then they'll look at it and say, well, will anyone actually buy it? You know, show me that, that give me a proof of concept. You go, you give a proof of concept. Okay, someone actually use it, will anyone pay for it? Now you have to go find, then you come back to them. So you have to do all this work anyway. Yeah. And at the end, when you, it's almost like a bank. A bank will give you money when you don't need it, when you're mm. safe and all that. Investor is not as risk averse as a bank, but when you've checked all the boxes and you've done all the hard, then they'll, they'll come and, and they will throw, you know, they will, they will give you money. So. I've never been in a scenario where someone has given, you know, cash is available and someone says, okay, I'll, I'll take it. It's, you Correct. always need to demonstrate your, your self-worth that, that you can do it. Correct. And you see in the other case where you get easy money, easy come, easy go, you will, you know, if you don't mm -hmm. hustle for your money. Mm -hmm. Now, Informatica Qatar IQ, I built it organically from the ground up. So I've been through all the, 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 you know, the difficulties in cash flow. So I'm very, you know, it's the sense point to me for cash flow. So bootstrapping for me is, is not an issue. And, you know, there used to be times when I used to stay awake about how will I do payroll. Mm -hmm. These, IQ is not in that case, but my other startups, there's cases like that and okay. I can manage them in the much clearer head. So I think it's important to, um, to be able to, to demonstrate bootstrapping and what you can, what you can mm -hmm. do during that phase. Fascinating. The other question that is often asked is on scaling up. Uh, Given the kind of market that exists across the globe, everyone is talking pan country, pan region, pan across the whole world. And yet there's probably enough market in one country for a startup. My question is, when should a startup founder start to scale up? You mean scale up on a global scale? Uh, beyond beyond his own little market in, in his own country or wherever? Well, first it depends on the appetite of the entrepreneur. 
I mean, I have seen companies here within 10 years grow to be, you know, in the construction sector, billion real or, you know, billion dollar companies. I've seen other people have their business here um, for 40 years. They've never gone beyond, you know, $100,000 in revenue a year. So first, it depends on the appetite of the of the entrepreneur, assuming they do have an appetite and they want to take over, uh, mm. take over the world. Mm. As I said before, the step-by-step -step process, once you demonstrate that people are willing to pay for your product, mm. then you've, you've, you've checked a lot of boxes for you know, an investor coming in where they say, you know what, if we put more money in sales and marketing, mm. we can actually take this on, on, a, on a global level. So it's not a matter of a specific time, six months, a year, two years. It's more when you demo, because you might have the right product fit early on mm. and you tweak one thing, suddenly people are like, yeah, this is exactly what we need. And then mm. people will start paying for that service. Now I'm talking more from a enterprise business to business. Okay. I'm not talking about getting traction and growing. I'm talking where you have to actually do, do sales. Then you can go to an investor, make the case, say, you know, look, I need to scale up. At that point, if you get money, the only goal for you is to capture markets, uh, to capture market share. So if you go back to an investor, the VCs, and you say, hey, I'm profitable, they will be, they'll be upset with you. They're like, that's not your goal. You're not spending enough money on sales and marketing. You need to capture 10, 20% of the market share because that's what our what our goal is. Yeah. But just going back to your to your question, you know, it's when you can demonstrate that someone will actually pay for your products, I think would be the time to to start seriously scaling well up. Said. Well said. Wissam, you're also an investor in many startups, you know, uh, so you already mentioned what, what you look for, you know, a good team, a good product, et cetera. At what stage do you look for an exit? Um, I usually stay till uh, till the end. So I don't usually go anything on the, on the, on the secondary uh, market. Um, mm. In our part of the world here, it's not going to be IPO. Okay, obviously, but it will be for uh, an acquisition, mm. merger or acquisition, which we've had uh, a couple here in the region. You know, we have in our region, we had a couple of unicorns now, you know, obviously Kareem and, and a couple of others uh, on, on the way. But really, the, those exits have all been through through acquisition. Um, and, you know, we look to make, um, you know, not huge amounts, maybe five times return, three times return uh, mm -hmm. on, our, on our money. So mm. quite modest still in our area here. And... Uh... You know, we spoke of the World Cup uh, a little while ago. Has the World Cup opened up a lot of startup opportunities in Qatar? Yes, actually, the World Cup, one of the main things, first, the World Cup was a phenomenal success mm. beyond what, um, you know, we were all hesitant Absolutely. Even in, in country about mm. what's, how we're going to acquire this. It was beyond what we imagined success. And that has helped us a lot and has put Qatar uh, on, on the map. Okay. Now, so it's helped. So, you know, you know, in, in India, I get approached from um, de development companies, for example, and they say we have an office in Richmond, Virginia, but they're really in India. And mm -hmm. they say they have an office in the U.S. to show that they're American, which because they, there's perhaps they want to show that they're Western, not Indian, mm -hmm. has a bad connotation. Same thing in Qatar. Mm -hmm. We used to say, you know, for talking to investors, no, we have offices in the U.S. or this. And OK, we just some people are in Qatar. Mm -hmm or a back office in Qatar, that's shifted. Mm. So with my new startup, you know, Emma, which is focused on the aviation sector, mm -hmm. the fact that we are in Qatar in this part of the world is a big advantage for us. Okay. It's a big plus. 
Hmm. Um, first, I mean, the sector we're in aviation, we have Qatar Airways, we have Hamad Airport, number one airport. We have all the, in the region of the latest technology. So it's a big plus for us. Hmm. So what the World Cup has done, it's removed the stigma about, uh, you know, our part of the our part of the world and, hmm. you know, they're backward or whatever the negative hmm. connotation uh, hmm. might be. Other perspective is from a startup, you know, Qatar needs to make its name for itself as well. So mm. it had the construction industry that with a lot of investment. Now that concentration has, uh, the focus has shifted slightly, obviously away from construction because we've built the country now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's focused more on how can we do not just really the soft power, but how can we, you know, uh, exert our influence on a, on a larger level? And one of these ways is through um, supporting the, the startup community here. So we see a lot of partnerships in Qatar with investors or VCs in Silicon Valley. In fact, my company was selected. We're starting um, uh, a program in uh, in Palo Alto in March. So a lot of these partnerships happening in order to support the startup ecosystem as we try to attract talent here from around the region and around the globe. So um, I guess the main thing startup, the World Cup has helped for startups is to support the, um, remove the stigma of, of the negative connotation. And build, build very strong credibility, I would imagine. Absolutely. So I have time for one more question, uh, Wissam. And this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. Uh, based on your own amazing journey, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia, the US, San Francisco, Qatar, building your own companies. Uh, what would you say are three lessons or three learnings that you want our viewers and listeners to take away? All right. I think um, the first one I think is very uh, is very important and mm. that uh, money doesn't buy happiness. Mm. What I mean by that is you know, people might do on do startups or entrepreneurships for the wrong or enter for the wrong reason. Correct. You know, you need to have the reason is money isn't an enough motivator for many people. You need mm -hmm. to really want to make a change to the world. Mm -hmm. You really um, want to build something. I think that's uh, important. Uh, the second thing is. Um, the more I find, the more that people uh, are negative with you, or mm. let's say I want to come to Qatar. A lot of people said I was crazy or what was I doing. Mm. The more people are negative uh, with me, the more I felt that I was right and, and they were wrong. Mm. I find that people are negative or try to discourage you either because they're perhaps jealous because yeah. you're taking a step and, and they're not. Correct. Uh, and they're not being supportive. Um, for that, uh, for that, for that reason. Hmm. The third one, I think, is your is um, your reliability. Hmm. I have been consistently good with people and reliable with people the whole time of here. Hmm. I've been here. In fact, when I first moved out here, one of our vendor partners said, "You'll never make it. You're too honest." And cut that. This is your, uh, all you have in, in life is your credibility and, and right. uh, your word. So, and that carries with you throughout, throughout your life. And mm -hmm. people remember that, you know, people don't remember what you said to them, but they remember how you made, how they made, you made them feel. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important to be um, uh, reliable and, and follow to what you, uh, what you promise people. Wonderful. And on that note, uh, Wissam and your three amazing lessons, money does not buy you happiness. Again, you said, 
whenever you're faced with negativity, your self-confidence grows uh, significantly. And that's such a powerful comment that you've made. The third one you said is reliability. I mean, people must know that they can trust you. People must know that, you know, they get what they see when they talk to each one of us. And you've also emphasized the need for very strong relationships. Thank you for talking to me about your own amazing journey. Thank you for talking to me about IQ and the work that you're doing. And most importantly, thank you so much for the incredible amount of sharing you've done on startups and what are the opportunities for startup founders and what are the things that they need to know. Thank you for speaking to me and good luck to you. Thank you, Ash. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.